This episode of The Grind Podcast is brought to you by OmniGood. The Grind is your state-mandated voice of dissent. Please listen carefully to our public service announcements. They are for your own protection. OmniGood loves you. All is good. OmniGood. Do not fear the grind. 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 The grind will set you free. We mean you no harm. 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 Do not be alarmed. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Grind podcast. My name is RJ Bailey and I am joined by Mr. Gordon Johnson. This is a new uh, podcast. We're going to be discussing arts, culture, weird stuff, fiction, music, all kinds of things. Um, Anything that we are allowed to discuss that does not violate the taste preferences of our glorious leaders and overlords. We're going to discuss dystopias today. I understand you're a fan of dystopias, Gordon. Do you think we're heading for a dystopia, though? I think we're in one. I mean, when you look at how things are going, we've got vague, anonymous by-proxy wars happening all over the world, mm. and have done for the best part of the century. We've got democratic systems that are so fundamentally flawed that they can't even really be called democratic anymore. I mean, mm. the House of Lords is ridiculous. It, Britain cannot be considered a democracy when our upper house mm-hmm. is unelected. I mean, I never voted for Michelle Moan, Mm -hmm. and if she ever ran for uh, any political power, I would vote for anybody rather than her. Mm. I would vote for Satan himself before I voted for that woman. So Satan gets a bad rap, though. He does. He does. Uh, All things considered, I think he's better than Michelle Moan. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong. If you were to go back 30 years and describe the world that we have now to somebody back then, they'd probably think that that was quite sci-fi and quite dystopian. Because if you said to somebody, we want every single person in the Western world to carry like a GPS tracking device mm-hmm. 30 years ago, you'd say, absolutely not, that's ridiculous. There's people queuing up to buy the new iPhone, mm-hmm. and there's people queuing up to buy the new Samsung, and it's exactly the same thing. So you never know that you're in a dystopia. And that's what makes them quite intriguing is that we will look back on this time probably very unfavorably that's why you never realize that you're in these things until it's too late Mm -hmm. until things get worse and then we look back and go god didn't we have a good like 20 years ago yeah you know before like the mind control implants and the chips and the you know just the general awfulness of society Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's what a dystopia is to me. Is it a social thing then? Yeah, it has to be social. You can't have a dystopia without people. Is it distinct from an apocalyptic scenario? I would say so, yeah. Uh, I think an apocalyptic scenario is different because after the apocalypse, society has collapsed mm-hmm. and there is no functioning society. Whereas a dystopia, 
society hasn't collapsed it's just worse than it is all right yeah um how about you how, but how, not necessarily less functional no because uh, i was kind of thinking like some dystopia i was i was thinking is it something that breaks down is it like things starting to collapse in a road but some of the best dystopian mm. things like robocop yeah. is where fit, like certain things are operating a bit too well like omnicorp yeah that is a company which is just running like clockwork yeah and as such it's got complete control and it's completely <laughs> privatized the police force and things like that mm-hmm. so exactly i mean uh, sometimes a dystopia can seem like a good thing in mm. some regards it's the same way that a utopia is really just a dystopia that you haven't noticed yet it's like um in hmm. demolition man uh such a good film uh you have this like unique uh kind of utopian society where there's no violence but that's at the it's at the expense of the people who live underground mm. and you don't have freedom of expression anymore and freedom of creativity so while you've traded off like basic human values for safety which is something that we're doing already yeah do you think when it comes to science fiction dystopias futuristic dystopias there's always a divide like is is it about mankind splitting apart society Mm -hmm. the people at the top go higher to the top and the people at the bottom go further towards the bottom yeah i think it definitely does because again that's a reflection of the society we have and there Mm -hmm. hasn't really been a time in and also when we think about dystopias we tend to think about westernized dystopias Mm. um I don't know enough about Eastern dystopias, but that's probably actually quite an interesting thing to look at because the gap between the rich and the poor obviously has just gone wider over the last century in the Western world. It'd be interesting to see what dystopia would look like when it was written under like communist mm-hmm. uh, rule. Russian society like. seems to me like... It, see, thinking about... I watched a film, recent, not recently, a few months ago, called Child 44. Oh, I've heard of that. It yeah. was very good with Tom Hardy and... Uh, uh, Gary Oldman mm. and uh, it was about uh, trying to solve these murders of children mm. in Soviet Russia but the f- problem was mm. so the Soviet um, hierarchy had this uh, had this kind of like uh, mask over everything mm. and it gave, tried to give everyone the idea and that Russian society at that point was paradise and communism mm. and they had this uh, phrase that they kept using saying there's no murder in paradise <laughs> and he was trying to um, and Tom Hardy's character was trying to solve and this was based on true story mm. Tom Hardy's character was trying to solve these murders and stop more children being killed but he was stopped every single step of the way because everywhere he went everyone he spoke to everyone power was towing the government line of well of course how are you trying you can't solve something which doesn't happen there's no of course there's no dead show there couldn't be there are no murders in paradise Mm. and um, and it seems to me like when you think of the way in films at least when uh, dystopias are portrayed they all look like communist Russia don't they (laughs) there's overpowering you know there's big obelisk type architecture mm. everyone's dirty and in brown you know yeah. old knackered clothes and the government rules absolutely everything and if you say something out of turn mm. you know if an employee says something out of turn there's no words nothing said about it you'll go to work one day someone says something bad and the next day you'll go to work and their desk is empty and yeah. then the next following day <laughs> someone sat at their desk and no one will mention anything yeah and they'll go he's always been here yeah it's that's quite interesting because there, you do get that very distinct kind of dystopia and that's probably a product of the Cold War mm. and how 
there was such a huge backlash against communism in Russia and Russian society that um, people who are making these films, um, not that film in particular, but people who are making like sci-fi dystopian films back then mm. would portray uh, dystopias as that sort of society because it was the antithesis of what they were living in at that time. Speaking of like operation, uh, sorry, uh, investigations being stopped at every turn, it's very much like you know in the seventies and eighties when people tried to investigate all the allegations of paedophilia in Westminster. Pi, hmm? the paedophile information exchange. Exactly. Yeah, massive ties to government, mm. but that all got very quickly swept under the rug because it didn't suit anybody in power. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny that people would portray uh, Russian society as this dystopia where people are shut down when they try to investigate something so horrible, but exactly the same thing happens here all the time. Yeah. So it's... I think dystopias are also quite often a bit misguided in the way that they're portrayed because they're, they're meant to be this other when really they're... They're, they're us. Not. Yeah, they yeah. are us. I mean, we talked about when... Um dystopian uh, dystopias of a certain time period took on kind of like a Soviet communist scheme but then at a certain point perhaps in the 80s dystopias were suddenly Japanese weren't they you yeah. brought up Blade Runner mm-hmm. is that perhaps to do with uh, the fact that when we got to the 80s we suddenly had this acceleration in the amount and, and level of technology that we mm-hmm. had access to, the amount of things it was doing. Japan, you know, JVC in Japan had just invented the VHS, which totally, really, it's changed yeah. everyone's lives, yeah, the idea to put, you know, viewable, viewable fit footage in your home, in yeah. this box, that now everyone points their entire you know their cities towards the television <laughs> no one would ha- no one had a television really yeah. and they certainly didn't point their tele- you know their their settees sofas, and yeah. sofas towards it and yeah. now we're all looking at it the room is orientated around it do you th- and you mentioned blade runner mm-hmm. there's lots of like all the adverts are very like uh, japanese inflected aren't they there's yeah. lots of japanese people like geisha there's a famous image of the geisha girl yeah. on a giant lcd you know screen mm-hmm. there do you think uh do you think the Japanese um, dystopia is still something we're living with, or are we moving towards something else now? Well, or? I think that Japan is quite interesting because after the war, uh, it took them quite a long time to basically be, get back to a functioning, reasonable level. Yeah. But once they did, they just rocked it, and it probably was JBC and you know, other such companies that really heralded the way for Japan to become the world like dominance as it is now yeah and it was just starting around then and also uh the huge population boom as well Mm. around the 70s and 80s there would be more migrants coming from japan to the west coast to la you know to places like that yeah um so i think that japanese culture became a much bigger part of american life and american awareness sure and because it is quite foreign and it's quite alien to us yeah it's just again it's the other you know it's quite an interesting um, way to look at things and also because lots of cities in Japan are very very modern because they were Mm -hmm. destroyed um, it fits The genetically modified food is not causing mutations. All is good. All is good. Omni good. Omni good. It's because again, you never really see a dystopia happening. Mm. It's not just one day you 
elect somebody or you buy something that turns your life and your society into a dystopia. Mm. It just happens insidiously. Mm-hmm. So it's just the the kind of massive expansion of like telecommunications and you don't need to think anymore you know if you're stuck waiting on a train or a bus instead of sitting there having to be lost in your own thoughts now you have Twitter Facebook Candy Crush yeah farm thing if that's still going you know there's no point now where you have to be on your own Mm -hmm. you know you can be completely immersed in something else all the time and I think that's quite a dangerous aspect of things because you need time to reflect you know if you never switch off Mm-hmm. and you just live your life as one big day you know that's it's not good you know yeah. you need to stop and think and reflect and split your life into more manageable chunks that is a good analogy I said like one big day I do feel like that sometimes yeah. I'm hopelessly addicted to my mobile phone oh me too hopelessly there is like the classic argument is this stuff making us stupid mm. you know um uh, it was in a kind of turn of the century, I think 1910, uh, Theodore Adorno wrote The Dialectic of Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is where he mentioned it. He argued that popular culture then, as he saw it, was making people stupid. Mm. And it was his theory that basically you infantilize people and you tell them what they want. And it's a mutual process. So you tell people what they want and that infantilizes them. And the infantilization happens because people don't need to think anymore. They don't need critical thought uh-huh. because they're told what they want. Yeah. And uh, he was saying that that's a bad thing and that, um, you know, that's, that's the cause of the entertainment industry. Obviously, this is the turn of the century. He po- couldn't possibly have seen what was coming. He yeah. would have been outraged. The problem is uh, he then went on to argue that the problem is, is that we don't have enough high culture. And he drew a distinction between popular music and uh, classical music, mm. which is stupid because... You can get classical music that is just as dumbed down as any pop music. I was going to say, it sounds like a punts at this yeah, point. Yeah, he was, and that's exactly why that argument isn't a particularly popular one. Mm-hmm. But it's just quite interesting that 100 years ago there were people predicting this uh, in the realms of academia. There's a really good book, I've forgotten the author, but it's called Bear vs. Shark. And it's uh, it's exactly what it sounds It's about, it's a TV programme that runs every year and who would win in a fight a bear or a shark <laughs> so the shark is in enough water so that it can move mm. but not so much water that the bear is hindered and um, it's just about how people are obsessed with this and how it comes around every year and when it's not on people wait for it much like the X Factor the voice and all that sort of mm-hmm. crap and um, it also raises a good point that if there's a television on in a room, it's impossible not to look at it. Oh, it drives if, me crackers. Yeah, it's like if you're in a bar oh, and, you're, yeah. and there's a, a TV you know, behind the person you're talking to, you'll always look at it. You can't help it. No, it's, Even if it's sport. I hate sport. Yeah. hate football. I will, I will watch football in a pub if it's on. I don't, I don't give a shit about football. But it's impossible not to look. And I don't know if it's just a basic thing. If your mind sees something moving and bright colours and flashing lights, mm. you'll look at it. Mm-hmm. Or is it because it's a television specifically? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if... Then again, it's hard to think of a decent analogy. If there's somebody waving flags behind the person you're talking to, you'd look at them as well. Yeah, that's yeah. Because that's a completely unnatural thing to see in a bar. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just really, really difficult. And it was a good point that I never really considered, that you can't ignore... Uh, a television that's on no the thing is I think there is also a line to be drawn between not having TV screens on and I hate when I go into a pub and there's a sign outside that says you know put your phone away you're here to talk or something yeah it's like first of all don't tell me what I'm here for yeah yeah you, know, you just lost my business exactly son. because if I go into a bar and I'm waiting on somebody I don't want to sit there 
on my own like an idiot yeah you know waiting for whoever I'm waiting yeah yeah you know and also sometimes in uh, the course of a conversation you might need to find out some information through your phone or you might need to I don't know make plans mm. or even if there's a, some sort of disaster in the pub and you need to call the police mm. I don't want some dickhead hipster telling me I'm sorry no pub, no phones in the pub it's the worst that I've ever seen was uh, I was in the Weatherspoons on Bothwell Street in Glasgow and that's in quite a a sort of well-to-do kind of area very um, uh, sort of office oriented uh-huh and uh, it was around the time that Colonel Gaddafi was uh, caught and obviously he was basically dragged from his car and kicked to death uh-huh. and uh, I was in his Weatherspoons and it was shown on every TV and it was on Sky News and they had it on basically an infinite loop all night <laughs> so I'm sitting there with a pint and my friends and we're chatting and laughing and on every TV screen all around me reflected in all the windows <laughs> there's a man being murdered you think I'm watching a man die on the screen right now and I'm just sitting here complaining about how like my pint's overcarbonated. Uh, I think, okay, he was a bad guy, you know, he probably would have been killed at some point. Anyway, he was not. Yeah, he was a he was a bad bad man. But the thing is, how desensitised have we become? That's hilarious. If that was fiction, that would be hilarious. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, if that was in a film, we said, oh, you can have that on in a pub. Yeah, I don't know if you want to see a man getting kicked. You're to totally death. right. Yeah, yeah. But in the news, when it's real life, an actual man with mm. life slipping away under the sandals of the people he's oppressed, you think that's completely fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I've watched it. How many people, uh, like we've both grown up with the internet, how many people have we seen die on the internet? Mm. They're real life people, and I've seen people die, and for some reason that hasn't affected or maybe it has maybe that's why I'm <laughs> maybe that's why I'm you know grim and unhappy but it's like we've become so desensitised to violence that you can have it on the news and show anything you want like the Twin Towers or anything yeah thousands upon thousands of people dying and we'll watch that over and over and over and over in a way that's the ver- that that is that is the nature of 24 hours rolling news though, and yeah. you've got to fill it up with something got yeah. to get those viewers uh-huh. and when there's several stations you mm-hmm. want to be the one who's you know yeah. people are going oh I'm going to watch this man get kicked to death yeah and uh, rolling news is one of the worst things that's happened to society in a long time I think mm-hmm. because a constant desire for news means that people will make it up it's the press keeping people scared because scared people want to find out more mm-hmm. so they keep buying the papers they keep watching the news yeah. because they're so shit scared that they're going to miss something that might potentially help them one day mm. so that's um, just pretty it's also bad. it's also they're also quite emotionally manipulative it gives you it also gives you reason to be angry and it gives you an external locus for your hatred yeah. and it gives you a reason why things are wrong or why you feel <laughs> you know society's gone wrong mm-hmm. and you Otherwise, if you know, you would just despair, or you would look around and re- assess things for yourself. But newspapers able a go. You know why you feel so crap. You know why you're in an awful job. You know why you're in debt. You know why you're broke. You know why you can't. You've got massive NHS waiting list. Mm-hmm. These guys. Yeah. This is the reason. Yeah, it's this. Your poor person coming over here on a boat that's probably going to capsize and yeah. kill them all. It's definitely that guy. These migrants. Yeah. See that screaming man trying to get on a train with his mm-hmm. child. <sighs> he's the cause of all your problems. Exactly. Um, Even though he's not in the UK yet. <laughs> yeah the thing that really pisses me off a lot of the time is this silent majority that people keep talking about in my opinion if you have an opinion or a belief that you're not willing to discuss and defend then you shouldn't have it 
because you're either too stupid to have it mm. or it's a bad opinion and you know it's a bad opinion mm-hmm. um, so that this whole silent majority thing just really it's like who who would admit to reading the Daily Mail yeah not very many people no. but they must do yeah you know how many people you know watch Fox News and actually accept it uncritically mm-hmm. you'd like to think nobody but they must do because that's that's like Donald Trump is you know the forerunner in a Republican candidate race yeah yeah which is a terrifying state of being and then here with our conservative majority where everybody you know said they were going to vote Labour and then didn't yeah suddenly now people aren't happy to express their opinions unless it's through some sort of anonymized social media yeah and that's dangerous or even their personal social media I mean mm-hmm. people are happy to back certain things of, of you know very um, some you know unpleasant things sometimes mm-hmm. or opinions I would hold as distasteful yeah and but the thing is, I really think it's because they're typing it into their phone or a screen mm-hmm. and they put it out there. They don't. They're not talking to anyone. They're not in a conversation. What they're doing is they've. It's called social shouting. What <laughs> they've done is they've given a one-way communication, and then that's it. And the problem is, people will look at their certain you know values or views that they find distasteful or unpleasant mm. or prejudice, and they'll not want to engage them on that level yeah because that's going to start a confrontation those people who've expressed the opinion haven't started a confrontation they've expressed the opinion that's their right whatever but the people and I I don't want to challenge people Mm -hmm. I just unfollow them use that new unfollow button on Facebook do you want to see any more from this racist (laughs) no I don't but I also am like I guess I'm scared and too indoctrinated into British values <laughs> to not to, to be impolite and not challenge them on it yeah. and not unfriend them <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I've only unfriended people I know well, I will never ever see again. Should there be more confrontation? It's like, should I call people out more? If I see somebody posting something from Britain first, mm. you know, the Facebook page, should I say, actually, let me explain to you the manifold ways that that is wrong and yeah. stupid? Yeah. Or do do you do more harm by drawing attention to it? Hmm. Because it's all very well that people are shouting into a vacuum. The argument could be made that just don't engage, just leave them alone mm-hmm. and they'll fizzle out. But the problem is if somebody posts something from a racist page, other people will look at that and they might not engage with it. They might say, I hold that opinion too and it's good yeah. to know that others do as well. You know, even if they don't like it or if they don't say, yes, I agree, they at least know that there are others like them. Mm. And if they're going unchallenged, it kind of breeds this idea that maybe that's actually an acceptable thing, yeah. an acceptable view as a hold, which I would argue it isn't. So. Yeah. Well, I think also an issue is it's, you don't even need to challenge them. It's perhaps, mm. I don't want to sound really patronising, but I will, mm. and perhaps asking them to just maybe educating them a little bit yeah. and go it because what happens is what Britain first do and they're famous for this obviously they put out an emotive shareable image mm-hmm. that is like this you know soldier has got his legs blown off mm-hmm. fighting al qaeda and uh, something bad has happened to him on his own turf he can't get into the nhs mm-hmm. waiting queue um obviously i'm just coming up with something he can't you know the waiting queue is too long for him and he's stuck at home and he can't get out share if you think this is disgraceful Mm. and do you know what there's there's nothing 
<laughs> or, or it's something about oh you've got you know share one of the things was uh, that I saw a friend post about who I know is proper left wing and mm. would never you know obviously hadn't thought about it they'd yeah. seen a shareable image that said share if you think we should remember and honour those who died fighting for our country yes. and you know what There's n- everyone agrees with that statement people yeah. who gave their lives fighting f- to defend us against the Nazis yeah. yes you should honour and them. Mm. but the thing is those are put down but they don't click on the name above it which is Britain First yeah. Britain First in itself is not an offensive name no. <laughs> um, it's probably it's, it's a patriotic sounding name mm. and then you click on it they haven't clicked on it mm. and they haven't seen the rest of the stuff which is we are a right wing organisation we hate Muslims blah 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 yeah. the, all they've done is they've seen an, a statement which no one can really disagree with yeah and again it's like uh, that's how the news companies work as well mm. they'll wrap things up in statements that nobody can really disagree with because they can say the NHS is in a terrible state of affairs go, it absolutely is you mm. know? and it's because of refugees you go oh hold on you know, <laughs> oh, that's not actually strictly true now is it mm. I see but I see you know British people doing that saying oh eroding our culture mm. and I'm sat there thinking I hope you've never ever had a curry in <laughs> your life exactly I hope you've never had a Chinese meal and mm. enjoyed it exactly and also Who's really eroding our culture? Yeah. Is it the refugees and the migrants coming over and adding things to the culture? And yeah. adding their particular twists and their particular uh, you know, flavours and everything? Or is it the people sitting at home every Friday night watching The X Factor every year <laughs> and then going out and getting smashed, getting up on Saturday, doing it all over again, mm-hmm. being hungover on Sunday, then going back to their boring office middle management jobs, nine to five, Monday to Friday? Who's really eroding the culture? You know, it's the people who are blindly consuming the stuff that is just made to keep you stupid. Mm. They're the ones who are eroding the culture. Everybody else is trying to add to it. Again, it's, it's like the classic argument. If you're looking for the people who have got us into this situation, you just have to look in a mirror. You know, we're all guilty of it. Yeah. Every single person is guilty of adding to the vaguely nightmarish situation that we find ourselves in. We're living inside a dystopia because we've got a weird, vague you know, kind of uncaring media mm. that peddles blatant lies. You know, we all spend our lives getting, you know, drunk or getting high or just staring into our phones. Mm. You know, there's always people saying, oh, nobody talks to each other anymore. Mm-hmm. It's because nobody wants to talk. And for a lot of people, there's nothing to talk about. We're force-fed culture that is very clinically manufactured and sanitised there's nothing there's nothing to suggest that what we're living in right now isn't a dystopia when I I kind of like took stock when the Tories got in Mm. and everyone had a meltdown Mm. and I you know and I'm not saying that people can't have a meltdown I personally didn't because I kind of like and I didn't you know it wouldn't be my party of choosing but at the end of the day I've if I get ill I was, a man will come in a white van and sirens and he will pick me up and take me to hospital and it won't cost me a penny. If I am being attacked, hopefully, if they're nearby, a man with a cool hat and a high-vis jacket will come and break it up and help me out. If my house is on fire, someone's going to come and they're going to put my house out. And an insurance company, which I've paid to voluntarily, will will come and give me all my things back that I would have just been wiped out. And I think about... 
it made me think I've you know I've travelled around when I travelled around Africa and I, I I was walking through Tanzania in uh, God, what's the name of it now I can't I'm afraid I can't it's not Dar es Salaam it's the town just out near um, near the big mountain um, and I was walking around and there are people on like you know sat on the street with no legs and no mm. fingers. And there's no public health service there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people's houses get burned down. There are gangs, there are murders that go unsolved. When I was mugged in South Africa, in, in Cape Town, not even Johannesburg. I know South Africa is the second most dangerous country on the planet, <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't the most, you know, and Johannesburg is the first most dangerous yeah. city, but I wasn't even in Johannesburg. And when the first time I was mugged in Cape Town, I flagged a policeman down, mm-hmm. and, like, we went round looking for him, and I was like, oh, I think he's gone in there, and it's an area called the Beau Carp. Mm-hmm. And when I when oh it's in there where all these beautiful coloured houses are the policeman was like we don't go in there yeah uh, I was like why not and he's like we don't go in there without armed backup and mm-hmm. you know flat jackets and the whole nine yeah. you know because the criminals run that part of town and I just kind of thought I see these people freaking out over a change in government but they're not going to scrap the NHS they're not going to you know they're not going to get rid of uh, the fire brigade or anything, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I kind of think I could be born into this society where a party I don't like is in power, mm. or I could have been born into uh, somewhere like Lesotho mm. where gangs rule everything and there's no NHS, mm. and if I become crippled, then I will die of starvation because I can't work or farm anymore. I don't think it's productive to look at other cultures and say well it could be worse Mm. I think it could be much worse things could be infinitely worse Mm -hmm. but things aren't good here Mm. and yes I would like to think that if something happens to me an ambulance will turn up and take me to the hospital but there's a lot of places in the country where that won't happen you know they don't have the resources you know and these things are being cut back you know the police there'll be parts of cities that the police won't go into here either Mm. Uh, in London, Manchester, Glasgow, you know, these aren't perfect systems, but the problem is is that we're so reliant on them, we don't have any other options. Mm. So we have to rely on these imperfect systems. I mean, the NHS is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but it's got huge flaws. So the problems we face are different. You know, they're not so much on a a day-to-day personal safety level Mm. of dystopia, basically it's on a much bigger scale. The Tories aren't going to scrap the NHS, but there are things that will change it beyond the point of it being a useful service anymore. You know, if they keep opening up certain aspects of it to the open market, and if the TTIP protocol goes through, that will change it immeasurably as well. So, and these are put into place by the governments we have. You know, they're nobody voted for this Mm. and more to the point nobody can vote against it you know these things are implemented they're not discussed it's the same with um i don't nuclear weapons you know Mm. we don't get a vote on that Mm. it just happens to us so the problems we face are bigger on a looking at the timeline sort of thing yeah um because there's little things happening incrementally that will result in huge changes but yeah. the problem is, is that we won't see them happening no you are that's right not, things are right. relative and yeah. I, you know 
I, I was probably had a bit, maybe I was just a bit a, maybe I thought people went a bit too hysterical when it came to the Tories there's coming into always, power yeah, but you are right just because things are worse over here doesn't mean that this isn't a bad thing that I can't feel bad I think it's because I was watching international news at the time and I was like people are protesting mm-hmm. and they're allowed to protest mm-hmm. and they've you know no one's stopping the protest and I was like over in North Korea mm-hmm. the Minister for Defence fell asleep and then he was exploded with an anti-aircraft yeah. cannon. I was like, come on, guys. Yeah, the thing is, we are allowed to protest within fairly specific guidelines. Mm. Um, if I were at a protest and I got to the front and I got up in David Cameron's face mm. and called him a cunt or something, I would get arrested. Mm-hmm. Even though I've done him no physical harm, you know, not even any mental harm, because mm-hmm. I don't get called that all the time, mm-hmm. you know, I would still get arrested and my yeah. right to protest and possibly my right to live in a inside society will be taken away if I'm mm-hmm. put in prison you know you can protest as long as you don't really do any harm yeah. as long as you don't do any damage as long as you don't cause too much of a ruckus mm-hmm. and then you have to wonder what the point of protesting is mm. if you go to, if there's a protest happening and it doesn't actually do anything to change the situation what's the point I think there is a good you know I mean dystopia is obviously when perhaps control we're talking about control has gone too far but I think there is a level of control needed uh, even with protests mm-hmm. because recently you probably have noticed the uh, fuck London protest which was where basically they were anti-gentrification yeah. and then they went around you know what as much as people have a problem with a serial you know that serial mm-hmm. cafe they went around and smashed up a small in- independent business exactly that people that- worked hard to put together misguided as it was yeah you know? I mean everybody can surely agree that a serial cafe is stupid mm-hmm. and that it's just a hipster fad that probably wouldn't have lasted very long anyway but you're right they're an independent business they pay taxes just like everybody else Mm. and they've built something on their own and that's to be applauded I wonder how many McDonald's and Starbucks and Tesco's and Sainsbury's and Morrison's and uh, as does Walmart and everything how many did they march past to get to that small independent business back to specifically dystopias I don't know if we're heading towards a dystopia. I was thinking about this in the car, and it would be easy for me to think we were, but, I mean, things have got better on the pole. Okay. I mean, I'm not a surf. <laughs> I don't have a master. Mm-hmm. I um, There's greater equality in the workplace than there were 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Am I seeing things too big picture? Am I going, well, in the 1700s, mm-hmm. we had slaves, and there's no slaves now. I suppose it does depend on what kind of scale we're looking at. Compared to 400, 300 years ago, things are obviously quite a bit better. We're not dying in the street. We've got Mm. indoor plumbing, all that sort of thing. But I suppose there seems to be this general acceptance that by now things should be better. Yeah. You know, I suppose it's because we we lived through a significant period where we hit 2000, Mm -hmm. you know, and people always saw the year 2000 as this big marker Mm. where we were going to join some intergalactic community or we're going to have hoverboards or we're going to have cured everything but we haven't the world was still a pretty violent dangerous kind of sad place a lot of the time Mm. and that was 2015 and I think it's understandable that people could expect us to be in a better situation than we are Mm. are things really better? I mean we've had all of our agency taken away from us it's, well, obviously things are different in the UK because of the NHS, but there are still drugs that are denied mm. in the under the NHS because they're too expensive. 
in America is worse. Can you imagine telling somebody a hundred years ago that there'll be drugs readily available, they're right there for you, and they will cure your cancer, but you're poor, Mm -hmm. so you're going to die. You know, they would have thought, no, in a hundred years, surely we would have gotten to a point where that didn't happen anymore. Mm. And it does, and it happens even more so. So it's just the idea that they can... The corporations basically do have power over life and death of entire populations, of entire countries. Uh, It's terrifying because these people are unaccountable. They are unapproachable. You can't vote for them. You can't vote against them. You can't stop them. Mm. You can't, you know, uh, boycott their products because if you do, you'll die. You know, you're left with no choice. We've, We've had our basic human agency taken away from us because of the way the system is geared towards this free market economy. Mm-hmm. So is that what we're seeing pop up? Everything's all independent, organic, grow your own yeah. stuff. Is that why people are then leaning more towards that these days? It's so there's, fashionable. There's definitely a fashion for it, definitely a trend towards it. It's unsustainable mm. because people buy that sort of stuff until a recession. And then everybody goes straight back to Lidl and Aldi. Yeah. Who I don't particularly have a problem with. I mean, it kept me alive all these years, uh-huh. but these are backlashes that are very, very middle-class things. It's like a little act of rebellion. Mm. It's like, you know, I could get my tomatoes from Tesco, but I'm actually going to spend an extra 40p and I'm going to get them from this independent grocer. Mm. I think, yeah, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, I think too often, these tiny little acts are inflated in people's minds and they say, look, I'm a good person. I'm doing really well. I mm. buy organic food. You know, I you know, wear occasionally hemp clothing and stuff like that. Mm. These are things that don't change society. They don't make it better. They don't contribute anything apart from a little bit of tax money into independent businesses. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change anything. The problem is, is that when push comes to shove, people have to still go to the companies that are timeless, that will always be there and that will always be working against your best interests. Mm. And that's the scary dystopian thing is that we're occasionally afforded these little glimpses of freedom and mm-hmm. these little glimpses of what life could be like, but they're unsustainable. Because, again, it's the companies that cause recessions that benefit from them. Mm. You know, it's... I think that's a deeply, deeply dystopian situation to be in because it's completely taken out of our control. Gordon, um, do you think we're in a dystopia right now? Well, like, closing argument, I guess, would be yes. Uh, I think we are because, like I said at the start, you never know you're in a dystopia until A, it's too late, and B, you've progressed beyond that into something else, usually Mm -hmm. a worse dystopia. I think that with the general... um, Just the way that society's moving, the way that uh, we're... Our human actions and our human agency and our right to decide how we live our lives has just generally been eroded across the board... And the, the fact that we're given the illusion of choice as opposed to genuine, real choice that can make a difference to our lives all points towards a dystopian society. I don't think so, but I have a tendency to look very, 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 very small or very, very big and no in between. <laughs> right. So I kind of think, you know what? We're generally getting better. No slaves anymore. Uh, there's a lot more support for... Um, 
sexual and gender acceptance all over the place. Uh, there is some terrible places in the world, and I'm glad I don't live there. Mm-hmm. But I think generally we're going in the right direction just about we just have to uh, be plugged into this technology to get hold of it <laughs> I think it's we are we're accepting of this technology but on the other hand it does some of it does get us there it's like when I watched the Louis Through documentary on hunting and I was totally against hunting mm-hmm. and then he went to Africa and these private you know these rich Americans came over and shot things mm-hmm. but all that money went into keeping these species alive mm-hmm. and the government was putting no money into keeping these endangered species alive. These these species only lived because they were supported by the money mm. that rich Americans and, and, you know, rich other people came over and, and gave to shoot one of them and they would shoot one and nine would live their normal happy lives. Yeah, I should never consider that. And the species was several, you know, these different kinds of species were alive categorically because of mm. they were, one of them was hunted every so often. Mm. So I kind of think maybe it's like that in society. We have to do, you know, we have to kind of get on board with certain things with which, you know, we have to pay our certain money to certain things and be part of a system which can ultimately, at the end of the day, save our life or put our house out of fire or mm-hmm. police us. What's your favourite dystopia? Has to be Blade Runner. Yeah? Has to be. Um, Blade Runner or... uh, If we're talking in literature as well, A Scanner Darkly Mm -hmm. is a phenomenally written dystopia. I think my favourite one is uh, got to be Robocop, because Mm -hmm. I think it just... It is the ultimate um, expression of the corporate machine yeah. taking. It's literally the corporate machine melded with a man. It is the ultimate in privatizer. It is yeah. like privatization turned into a character. <laughs> it is great. Yeah, that really, really is. And great. all of the corporate stuff seems still not only to be relevant today, after you know twenty over twenty years of Robocop's existence, mm. but also even still seems to be specifically relevant to Detroit. I know Detroit just hasn't progressed. No. It's gotten much, much worse. Uh, where can we find out more about you if we want to follow you or anything? Well, uh, I would suggest that the grind uh, is the best port of call at the website is the hyphen grind.co.uk or you can find us on twitter at the grind journal and we will be spamming the link to this podcast beyond all reasonable belief oh yes and uh, you can follow me on twitter at rj bailey rj b-a-y-l-e-y um, if you want to read my thoughts on gore regularly, I'm the resident reviewer for Popcorn Horror, so you can just Google that and I'll give you some movie reviews. And you can listen to my FM and online radio show on 98.8 Castle FM every Black Sabbath, uh, which is um, Sunday, obviously, but I just like the pun, uh, between 7 and 9, uh, and you can get me on 98.8 FM on our tune-in page or on our app. So, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for downloading and listening to The Grind Podcast. Your cooperation in this matter is valued. If you would like to advertise on or sponsor The Grind Podcast, please send an email to thegrindjournal at gmail.com. It would be very much appreciated if you would leave a review for us on iTunes Stitcher, or whatever other Omnigood-approved podcatcher you use. By doing so, you can help spread the word of the grind 
and so bring order and unity to this reality. All is good. Omni-good.